All right, everybody, Pastor Paul here on a Wednesday morning, April 26. So glad that you have joined us. We find ourselves walking through the most famous sermon preached in the history of the world, maybe the most famous discourse in the history of the world. Of course, we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew's sort of meta theme over his whole gospel is that Jesus is king. Jesus has come to establish his reign, his rule, his authority. He has been depicted as the king from the very beginning. He is proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. He's doing the works of the kingdom. And now he's gathered the people on this mountainside, this hillside, to teach them what being a part of God, God's kingdom looks like. What does it mean to be a citizen? What are our, our values, our priorities and sort of one of the headliner verses over the whole sermon of course is Matthew 5:20 I tell you Jesus says unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees you will not enter the kingdom of heaven and we've really talked about ways that we don't want to understand that and and I think the way to understand that it's not hyperbole it's not an exaggeration what Jesus is preaching and speaking against in the Sermon on the Mount is the faux righteousness of the of the Pharisees, things that looked good on the outside, but inside were corrupt. They were doing a lot of the right things like praying and fasting and giving, but they were doing them in all the wrong ways for all the wrong reasons, to be seen by men, to be uh, built up, to have status, affluence, all of those sorts of things. And so Jesus is showing his disciples, us, um, believers in Jesus Christ, a better way, a kingdom way. And we are in the middle of that first big chunk of teaching section in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus has, has been talking to us first about the sixth and seventh commandments, adultery and murder. And he's basically saying, if you think that You've fulfilled the righteousness of these commands simply by not killing somebody and not uh, sleeping with someone beside your spouse, then you're highly mistaken. You haven't examined your heart because that was the problem with the Pharisees, right? That was the corruption of heart. Well, now Jesus extends his discourse into sort of the fabric of our relationships, and he wants to talk about divorce and then telling the truth. And so let me read this passage for us and pick back up where we left off last time. It was also said, this is Matthew 5, 31, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 24, where Matthew is talking, I'm sorry, where Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 24 here, um, where Moses is writing about um, the conditions in which someone may issue someone else a certificate 
of divorce. And we may be a little unfamiliar with sort of the context that Jesus is speaking here. But if you look over on Matthew 19, and we looked at this passage uh, last week, and I want to make a couple more comments about it um, and loop this back around to what Jesus says. Jesus, in fact, in Matthew 19, 3 and following, is having a discourse with the Pharisees where they basically come and ask him, hey, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any reason? And it is here that, that Jesus is, is wanting to address the true intentions behind the design of marriage. Because there was essentially two camps in the, the Pharisaic community when it came to divorce and remarriage. There was the, the camp of, of Shammai, um, that was the more conservative um, branch, which said, um, we need to do what Moses said here. Um, we need, we, we, except for sec, uh, cases of sexual immorality, it's not proper to issue uh, someone a divorce versus the Hillel school, which was much more liberal, which was reflected, which probably the dominant position, not only the Pharisees, but of the culture as well and the people, was that you could divorce your wife for any reason. Okay, and this is why it says this. And so the way Jesus answers this is he not only obliterates the liberal Hillites, but he goes way beyond even the, the conservative Shamamites, right? He says um, the reason divorce was allowed in the Old Testament um, or at all is because of the hardness of heart. Okay, so, so people um, do sinful things. They're, they're covenant-breaking things, but this is not the way that God intended marriage to be. And then he goes on to say, he, he quotes Genesis 2, um, which talks about the permanency of marriage and the design behind marriage. And so in this way, he's upping the ante entirely. He's speaking against both sides who, remember, had a posture of trying to look for loopholes, right? Their posture was one of not trying to understand uh, the true intentions of marriage and God's law, but we're looking for ways around it, okay? And so they were, they were, they were interpreting Deuteronomy 24 woodenly, but in the process of doing so, completely missing the point, okay? And this is what Jesus is wanting to correct. Now, you can try to understand the radicalness of what Jesus is saying here, by um, how the disciples respond. Okay, so let's look down at verse 10 in chapter 19. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. In other words, who can attain this kind of standard? Whoa, marriage is permanent. Marriage is God's design. Um, whoa, and th this was such a radical teaching um, in light of the permissive culture of divorce in that, in, that, in that era. Look, verse 11, But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been born, been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. In other words, um, Jesus is not trying to teach about gender and sexuality in this section. What he's basically saying is not everyone is called to be married. Okay, most will be, but, but count the cost. And if this seems too big a burden to bear, then don't marry.
okay? And some don't marry, right? Because of their devotion to the kingdom or, or other reasons. So where does that bring us now? Well, I want to I want to go back to Matthew chapter 5 um, because Jesus says something else here, not just about divorce, but also about remarriage. And I want to try to explain what I think he's getting at in ways that we do and don't want to um, apply this, okay? Go back to verse 31 in Matthew chapter 5. Okay, or actually verse 32. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, some have taken this teaching um, as one that says remarriage is prohibited in any and all circumstances. Here Jesus clearly says, man divorces his wife, makes her commit adultery when she remarries, and whoever marries that woman is also committed adultery. And this is something more along lines of what we would call this, the, the permanence position, okay? Which basically says once married, always married. And if you're divorced, you have to stay divorced unless you remarry your original spouse. And what I want to say here is I don't think that's what this is teaching at all, okay? So this is where a knowledge of the languages can come in handy. So... When it says, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality. So in other words, if a man divorces his wife or a wife divorces her husband on the basis of sexual immorality, that is a permissible divorce, and thus remarriage would be permissible. Okay, This is very much along the lines of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, when that unbelieving spouse does not want to remain married, they... They let them go, and you are free. You are released. And I believe that means released to be remarried, no longer obligated. But when it says here that if a man divorces his wife for an unbiblical reason, he makes her commit adultery, what is being said there? Okay. See, in that era, in that time, it was assumed that people would remarry. Okay. So, in particularly as a woman, if you were divorced, you were incredibly vulnerable, you had no protection, you were ostracized. And so it was assumed, and it was the common practice, that that women would be quick to remarry. That was part of the way they were protected, and um, they would go on to bear children and, and all those sorts of things. And what Jesus is saying, he's not putting the spotlight on the woman and saying she's committing sexual immorality willfully, He's saying that when there's been an unbiblical divorce on the part of the husband, he forces his wife in a, into a position where she has to move from one, a one-flesh relationship to another one-flesh relationship. It's in the passive. It, it's something, in other words, that's being done to her. And, and, and part of Jesus's words here is that you guys are divorcing your wife for any and every reason. But when you do that, you're putting your wife in an untenable situation that when she has to remarry, she is, um, there's this act of adultery because there was no proper severance or termination of the original marriage. And now you're forcing her into another marriage. And the man who marries her is also um, committing adultery. All right. So that, that's his point. His point is saying that in the effort to pursue loopholes around God's clear teaching, you are forcing others into compromising untenable situations. I don't think, 
Okay, what Jesus here is doing is giving an absolute prohibition against remarriage. Because, after all, I believe Paul clearly teaches in 1 Corinthians 7 that remarriage is permissible after a biblical divorce. Okay, and so we get into a lot of problems when we try to, um, when we strip this from its context and try to wedge it into our current pastoral situations. There could be a hundred different scenarios where divorce and remarriage becomes very complicated, and it's why we have to have elders and pastors who are working through these texts and applying them to, to people's lives. And so um, one thing I think we can say for certain, okay, and I know this raises a lot of, a lot of questions for, 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 for us, regardless of how you find yourself, where you find yourself in your current marriage, that if you are married, whether it's remarriage or otherwise, this is God's will for you, okay? This is God's will for you. This is, you are to pursue a one flesh, you have a one flesh relationship, continue to pursue that in the Lord. Um, even if you can look back and say, I would have done something differently, or maybe that divorce I had was unbiblical or whatever, um, does that mean because I'm in this marriage that I'm an adulterer? Does it mean that I am in a perpetual state of sinfulness? And the answer is absolutely not, okay? This is God's will for you, regardless of how you got here, now make the most of it, make the best, most of this opportunity. This is why I think it, it, Jesus is not saying that once you're divorced, even if it's for the wrong reason, okay, an unbiblical reason, and remarry, that you're forever branded an adulterer. That's not his point here, okay? His point here in the burden is on the spouse who divorces unbiblically and what he forces the innocent spouse into, okay? Now, I realize this raises a whole host of questions, okay, that are not directly related into this, into this text. And so I'll be looking, Lord willing, for a venue um, in the coming months to do some sort of extended teaching on this issue. Um, the elders and pastors from the three congregations have been working, in fact, on a joint position paper, which spells out our position on these things, okay? But nonetheless, let's let the clear teaching of the Word of God rest upon us, that if we are married, we are to remain married unless there has been an obvious breach of the marital covenant, as in sexual immorality. Um, there could be other things that breach the covenant, but again, that's not the subject for this morning. And whatever situation we find ourselves in, even if it was a result of some sinful act prior, this is now God's will for us. Um, he loves us. He shows us grace. He shows us mercy. We are to immerse ourselves into that. We are to walk in that. And then we are to teach others about the nature of the seriousness of marriage. Okay, I know that was a mouthful, and there's lots more that we could say, but we can't say it this morning, except pray for your marriage, pursue your marriage, uh, pursue your spouse, um, teach others to do the same. Um, let's remember that the marriage relationship is a picture of the relationship of Christ and the church. And so we do want to treasure it as Jesus does. Let's pray. Lord, give us grace, give us mercy um, to understand these things and apply these things. They are complex and we can't deal with them all now. 
But Lord, we do know that we don't want to have the heart of a Pharisee that looks for loopholes to get out of things. We want to seek your good and perfect will and to be faithful and obedient to what you've called us to in our marriages. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.